This presentation is from Design Research 2021, Day 2. So hello and welcome to my UX Australia 2021 presentation. My name's Charlie Parker. I'm a digital accessibility consultant at Intopia, and I also coordinate Intopia Connect, which is where Intopia connects businesses and organisations to users with disability. We currently have a large panel of users with a range of disabilities, interests and experiences who participate in user feedback sessions and usability studies. Today, I'll be talking about the why, when and how of including people with disability in the design process. I'm vying for the crown for the longest presentation title. Now, bearing in mind that this is a 20 minute presentation and it's a complex topic, so it will be a bit like a tasting plate, a little bit of everything to whet your appetite and hopefully inspire you to look into it in more depth. So why? Why do we need to consider accessibility when designing and creating? Take a second to think about it. What drives your organisation towards accessibility, if anything? Whenever I ask someone why they think accessibility should be considered in a project, I get pretty much the same answers. Access, to provide access for all. It's law, fear of litigation, nobody wants to get sued. Market share, capturing the disability dollar, which is a combined disposable annual income of around 54 million. So it's a nice slice of the pie to have. And social responsibility, it's the right thing to do. And these are all great reasons, but they're about as motivating as your parents telling you to eat your vegetables because they're good for you. You might do it, but you don't necessarily want to and you don't really know why. But if I talk about design in general and what drives that, I get a different set of responses. Satisfaction, ultimately they want people to have a satisfying experience. Efficiency, time's important, we don't wanna waste it. Effectiveness, can people complete the task accurately? Can they find the information they're wanting easily? And then at the bottom for good measure, we tack on technical accessibility because, well, all of the reasons I mentioned in the previous slide, but the main focus is on compliance. Is it compliant? Does it meet the web content accessibility guidelines or WCAG? When we talk about digital accessibility as a concept, most people think of meeting the WCAG guidelines. A lot of people don't know what the guidelines are, but they do know that there are guidelines. But just focusing on technical accessibility actually means overall accessibility is fairly low. Where's the efficiency and satisfaction for the people that rely on accessibility? Sure, they can complete a task without any major roadblocks. It doesn't mean that they can do it efficiently or effectively, it just means that they can do it. We don't seem to care as much about the end user experience when we talk about people with disability. As long as we tick off that compliance box, we feel like we've done our job. But technical testing only gets us so far. Technical testing verifies that each function of the software application operates in conformance with the requirement specification. More vegetables. It meets the spec. It does the thing that the guideline says that it should. And then when someone with access requirements complains that they can't use it, the project team and the business say, we spent all this extra money and time on them, what more do they want? They want a satisfying user experience, just like everyone else. And the best way to do this is to bring users with a lived experience of disability into your design processes. Since the beginning of time, people with disability have had others make decisions on their behalf. And the voice of the disability community is unique and powerful and should be heard and considered from their very own point of view. The old nothing about us without us slogan.
And then you get these outcomes. Innovation. It drives improvement. You'll find people doing things in ways that you'd never even considered. It drives empathy and builds understanding. People often don't have a lot of understanding about people with disability unless they have a friend or a loved one or a close personal contact with someone who has a disability and then they only have a vision of what that disability actually means to that person. So getting an understanding overall is really, really important. It builds insights and comprehension. You understand why people do things the way that they do and provides better products and usability for all. So when? When do we include people with disability in the design process? Most often, accessibility is considered at the end of the project. Everything's been designed, built, iterated, and when it's just about ready to publish, a few weeks before go live, it gets sent off to an organisation like Intopia for an audit, and then we send them back a report outlining what needs to be fixed before they can even consider their release date. And then everyone goes into a panic. Accessibility can become a huge burden. It's something that people didn't really understand in the first place. They weren't sure really why they had to do it. They, that empathy wasn't there and now it's a problem. And then they start asking questions like, do people with disability even use our product? I mean, we sell cars, blind people don't drive. Do we need to make our website accessible? And my answer to you is yes. Buying a car is a big expense. And if you're part of a couple, Generally, you'll both want to be involved in that decision-making process. And while someone who's blind perhaps won't be driving the car, they'll probably like to know about the safety features or the mileage, or they might even want to pick the colour. So even though you might think that your product isn't something that somebody with a disability would be using, it's still very important to make it accessible. And not just for your customers, it's also internal um, stakeholders as well and your colleagues. So accessibility should be considered from inception, not the 2010 science fiction film, which is where my brain always goes every time I see that word. Whether it's a brand new product, a rebuild of an existing product, or a merge of multiple legacy products or designs, when, the first, when you first start thinking about your product from the initial concept, start thinking about accessibility. Because we all know that the cost of fixing issues increases during the project life cycle and issues fixed after production have a much higher cost again. Anybody that's been involved in any kind of development has had this drummed in from day one, but we still tend to leave accessibility to the end and it becomes a big problem and a very high cost. And if you leave it to the end and have accessibility as an afterthought, we end up with accessibility fails. So how early do we consider people with disability in the design? From the very outset, when you start creating your user personas, consider disability and access requirements. With around 20% of the population identifying as having some form of disability, we should be considering this when we create our personas. In 2017, the digital team at um, Government Digital Services in the UK created a set of user personas to highlight barriers faced by people with particular disabilities and to provide tips on how to design for them. There are a few others out there, but it wasn't really until that time that people started considering user personas with a disability. Quite often you'd make a user persona and they'd have all of these attributes, but never had low vision or never had hearing loss. But don't just focus on the disability. People aren't defined by their disability. It's an attribute or an environmental mismatch. For example, Claudia here is 54. She's married and has three children. Two are out of home away at university. Claudia is partially sighted due to glaucoma and diabetes. 
She works part-time. So yes, Claudia requires screen magnification to be able to better use her devices. But she also has a family and work commitments. So those interests need to be considered as well. It's not just about her vision. Include people with disability in your focus groups. The insights and feedback will be invaluable. Here you'll find out why heading structure is so important to screen reader users. Why big blocks of text can be difficult for people with dyslexia and how they use plugins or alternate means for reading content. The frustrations of having to copy text into a Word document from a website and then flicking back and forth and trying to remember where they were on the page in the first place. These are all discussion points and insights that will help you create a better product from, an, from the outset. There's no substitute for speaking directly with people with a lived experience of disability to get a holistic view of the entire customer journey. Uh, a few years ago, I worked as an assistive technology specialist, teaching people who were blind or had vision impairments how to use assistive technology. And that was everything from screen readers to iPhones to braille displays. And one day I was visiting a client. She was telling me how she could no longer order her groceries online. And it wasn't because the online checkout was inaccessible. I actually knew for a fact that this particular supermarket had done a lot of work to ensure that their website was accessible. The thing was, while they were fixing the website, they had an interim measure of having the delivery driver bring out a handheld FPOS machine so that she could order her goods online. But because the checkout wasn't fully accessible, the session would stop there. She would have it delivered and then she could tap her card when the delivery driver arrived at her house. But once the supermarket made the checkout accessible, and it was, it was working beautiful. It met all of the WCAG AA criteria. They stopped the driver bringing out the machine because it wasn't necessary anymore. The problem was, and what they didn't consider, was that while the lady could have entered her credit card details seamlessly into the fields on their form, she didn't know her credit card number. She couldn't see her credit card to enter the number. And contrary to popular belief, blind people don't actually feel along their credit card to work out the numbers on the card. It's not like Braille. So she couldn't do her shopping anymore. And without that conversation, they never would have known. So I actually took that feedback back to the supermarket and I'm hoping now that they have actually reintroduced the delivery driver um, being able to bring out that handheld FPOS machine. So you need to consider what people actually need and what their actual end-to-end -end experiences are. With your designs and wireframes, when they're created, people with disability can be brought in to give feedback. One drawback here is that even with high fidelity wireframes, they can't be used with a screen reader. It won't have the proper labels or tags. So a screen reader reading the background content, it won't make any sense to a screen reader user. But there are other things that can be tested by other disability groups. Color contrast, text on background color, text over images by people with low vision or who are colorblind. Use of white space, again, by people with low vision. When they magnify the screen, often content falls off of the page. Um, language and blocks of text for ease of understanding by people with dyslexia or learning difficulties or cognitive disabilities and uh, the size of clickable areas for people with dexterity difficulties. And on your built product, always test your final builds with people with a disability and using various forms of assistive technology. You never know what they're going to throw up. I recently did some user testing with a um, person who uses a braille display with an iPad and we were using Teams. And every time she went to share the screen, the, the start sharing button worked, 
but the actual start broadcast didn't actually come up to her braille display and this was a problem between ipads and um and teams we tested it with other devices we tested it with iphones if we didn't do this testing we never would have known so it might be and a braille display is literally I've, I've had i have a colleague who uses a braille display and he said to me without a screen reader a braille display is just a paperweight so the braille display isn't actually doing anything but for some reason when they interact it stopped that button from showing up for that person so doing user testing with different assistive technologies is really really important and we generally look at the main disability types of vision so blindness and low vision or screen reader users and screen magnifier users. A screen magnifier is generally different than a browser magnifier. So you can expand your browser and then generally everything will reflow into that sort of app look on the screen. Someone who uses a magnifier, it blows up the entire screen. So then your actual screen almost becomes a portal that you can look through. And so contents often falls off of the screen. So left aligning is really, really important for those people. Um, hearing audio and video content isn't the only consideration for the deaf community. To many deaf people, English is actually a second language. And Auslan doesn't translate directly into English and vice versa. So Auslan has a different sign for each word and they're often directionally, directionally or visually represented in the meaning. English has several spellings and meanings of the same word. So it's actually difficult for people who have grown up as Auslan as their first language to sometimes understand content. So written content is really important to the deaf community as well. And dexterity. So this can be someone with hand tremors, someone who doesn't use a mouse. So things need to be um, accessible via a keyboard or someone who uses an alternate input method like speech input or dragon naturally speaking. People with cognitive disabilities, so dyslexia, ADHD, acquired brain injury, memory loss. It's a really expansive group, that one, but getting feedback from those people is really, really important. And find people who meet your user demographic, but also meet these disability demographics as well. So include them as part of your regular testing cycle. Quite often they're separated out and we'll get somebody who is a screen reader user, but they don't necessarily know your product. They wouldn't necessarily be your customer. So they don't have that same empathy with the product that they're looking for. And you don't get that same feedback. You can get very structural accessibility feedback, but it's a far more value if they meet your other criteria and have the disability on top of that. So how do we do it? User research and usability testing helps you learn about users' behaviours, needs and motivations. So engage with disability organisations or specialised user testing organisations like Intopia Connect. Include people with disability in your regular test cycle and not just Bob from the back office who has some vision impairment, who will likely already have an idea of the workflow and the language and the context. Bob's opinion and experience is still valid, but when you test with one person with disability, you test with one person with disability. People with the same disability can have different experiences, expectations, and offer different insights to maximize improvement. Learn basic disability etiquette. Understanding correct language, preferred pronouns, and even the correct way to lead someone who's blind to help them navigate the office space if you're testing in person are all helpful skills to ensure that you get the best out of your sessions and that everyone is comfortable. Include simple and accessible feedback mechanism. Make it simple for people to give feedback on your existing products. Offer a form that's been correctly marked up and fully accessible. 
along with a contact number. Some people who are deaf or nonverbal will prefer communicating via text, while older people will generally look to talk to a real person. And some other things to consider. Technical proficiency. Blind people aren't born knowing how to use a screen reader. It's a learnt and often self-taught skill. So things like experience, access to technology and ability can come into play. And having an understanding of the difference between user proficiency versus product failure is an acquired skill for facilitators. Software and hardware usage. So some users have prefer preferential device. Um, the person I was talking about previously who uses an iPad with a braille display as their main device, they're blind and have cerebral palsy. So a, a larger screen is easier to navigate if they do have to do things um, with their hands, but um, it, it's also a device that can be mounted as well. So that's their main device for everything. They have a phone, but they barely use it. Congenital versus acquired disability. So someone who lost their vision later in life will have different expectations than someone who was born blind. We often see this with alt text, commonly but not always. People who grew up sighted like to have images described with really descriptive alt text because they have a mind map with a visual image memory that they can draw on. So if you describe something, they have an image in their head of what that would look like, where someone who was born blind often finds the descriptions less important. And age, age can affect overall understanding of technology. So you've engaged with people with disability, you've taken things like proficiency and device into account, and now you're ready for your session. So the things to consider for your session, allow more time for usability sessions with people with disability, usually one and a half times what you would normally allow. Often we think about this for screen reader users, but if, you're, if you have really clean code, a screen reader user might actually get through a task faster than someone who can see the screen and have all of the distractions and options that go along with it. So it's important to allow that extra time for everyone. Allow users to bring their own device if possible. Most users of assistive technology have specific settings and setups. Small changes such as a slightly different keyboard can impede what the user is trying to achieve and, have different and having a different setup can skew the overall user experience. Have an assistive technology at the, a specialist at the session. So for one, they can assist with te technical difficulties with setup but they'll also understand the difference between user proficiency or a product failure. And consider testing in the person's own environment versus your office. Currently, all of our user testing is being done remotely. And while it does throw up some curveballs from a tech stack point of view, it alleviates travel. It means the participant is in the comfort of their own home and on their own device. And consider how users will get to your session if you are doing an in-person session. Is the building accessible? How far away from public transport is it? Is it easy to get to by taxi? A lot of users will need to use cab charges and, and get around that way. So finally, make sure that you pay your users for their time and their travel. It can be expensive to get from someone's house into your office and then return journey again. And the time of people with disability is important and it is valuable. Intopia Connect pays our participants in cash a lot of places pay people in um, gift cards. But what can happen there is that the gift card isn't necessarily accessible. So quite often they've got a flat number on them and then um, you've got a scratch off code. So blind participants especially usually hold off on using those. And some of them even have fees. So by the time they do get around to using it, all of that money has been eaten up in fees. So they actually get nothing for the session. 
using assistive technology isn't is an acquired skill it is a skill that should be paid for so make sure that you do compensate your users correctly so to wrap up consider accessibility early don't wait until the product is built and an audit tells you all of the things you need to fix early implementation drives a better user experience for all don't rely on one person. If you've tested with one person with a disability, you've tested with one person with a disability. Allow users to bring their own devices. Understand the difference between user proficiency versus product failure. Allow extra time for completion and understand that known usability issues are often more of a problem for people with disabilities. So one, they will generally always find them and two, Fixing those usability issues will also make a better experience for everybody else using the product. And that brings me to the end of my presentation. So hopefully that seemed very, very quickly, um, but hopefully everybody got um, something out of that. Thanks so much, Charlie. That was excellent.